Chapter Twenty Two of The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Blue Star, Chapter Twenty Two The Law of Love. For a moment, after the men had spoken, Rodvard felt as though he were falling. He looked at Lalette and saw the same black fear was in her also, but the step was taken, they could only hope to carry matters through at the port office. Hintz was a thin man in a sailor's jacket, who looked over his shoulder back at the captain as he led them down the cobbles to a brick building, that Lalette remembered all too well. "'You will find it a good voyage. The ship is tight as an egg, but the food not too good,' said he. There was a doorman in his coop, who directed Hintz down a hall, whereupon the girl clutched Rodvard's arm and said, "'I do not like this. I—' A silly remark, he thought. "'We cannot run away now,' he said. "'It is the only chance.' And Hintz was back to say that the proto-Stylarian would entertain them at once. There could be only a moment of waiting. They looked at each other apprehensively. Lalette leaned against a wall and closed her eyes, and a man came down the hall to call them in. Rodvard led the way into a room where a little man sat behind a desk with lines of disobligingness set round his mouth. He said, "'You wish to leave the dominion of Manchuria for the barbarous green islands?' "'It is because of a family matter,' said Rodvard. "'My wife and I—' The protostylarian looked at Lalette's hair, down in the maiden sweep, then quickly at Rodvard and back to her face. Wrinkle shot up the middle of his forehead. "'Wife? Wife? What is your profession? Where is your certificate of employ?' He came up out of his seat, like a small bear, Rodvard thought, peering the more intently at the girl. "'Ah, I have it. I know.' You are the one I registered for the Mayonesse. The de Solon. And a witch, too. Guards! Guards! His voice went treble. Two or three armed men tumbled into the room. An inquiry, said the proto-Stylarian, flinging up his arm to point at the couple as Hins shrank back. These two for an inquiry. I accuse her of being a runaway Mayonesson. The face was distorted the thought behind it one of the purest delight and triumph. "'Be careful with her! She is a witch!' Rodvar was gripped above the elbow and jerked stumbling to the door, catching only a glimpse of Lalette's despairing face. Outside people stopped and goggled as the two were hurried along and into a carriage, with a guard beside each. "'I am sorry,' began Rodvard, but one of the guards said, "'Close your clack! no talking among prisoners." His eyes spoke a brutality that would have taken pleasure in a blow. They came to a structure with a battlemented gate, like a small fortress. An odor of sewage emanated from it. A pair of guards brought forward bills in salutation to those entering. Rodvard and Lalette were swung into a gatehouse, where a man lounged at a window, an officer by his shoulder-knot. One of the guards said, these two are in for an inquiry. Authority of the protostylarian Brothvudi. He says to be careful of the woman. She's a witch." The officer looked at Lalette appreciatively, 
then seated himself at the desk and drew out a paper. "'Your names and professions?' he said. Rodvard gave his. Lalette checked over the profession, wishing to cry out that she would not give it, wishing to defy the man. The officer looked at her. "'You are warned,' he said, "'that I am a diaconal, and your witchery will be wasted on me.' "'Oh,' she said, and half-choking, "'Myonessin!' "'Which covertine? The more trouble it is to obtain the information, the harder it will be with you.' Lolau. The officer turned to one of the guards. "'Go to the covertine of Lalau and inform the matron that she is to come here tomorrow morning at the fourth glass for an inquiry in the matter of Demoiselle Lalette.' He addressed the other guard. "'You wait here while I draw the proclamation calling for information on this burglin, then take it around.' Rodvar thought of Lise and wondered what she would say in answer to the proclamation. Lalette of facing Dame Quazo again. Another pair of guards came in to take them to stone cells, set in the wall of the fortress. Rodvard saw Lalette vanish into one and heard the door clang behind her, then was himself thrust into another. There was a stool and straw on the floor, an archery slit for the only lighting. The place stank, the origin of which odor was a bucket beneath the archery slit. He sat on the stool and tried to think but the turmoil of fear held him so that he could do little more than run around back and over his own conduct like a mouse, to ask where he had stepped wrongly and what else he could have done to make things come out other than they were. This was the morning when Lise—and he would have been bound to her for life—no, that could not have been the right path. Farther back, then? When he asked that, he went off into a train of reminiscence in which thought almost ceased. His throat was dry, there was no water in the cell. Nor did he seem to have near neighbors, all being silence around, save that somewhere a tiny drip of water increased his thirst. Would he be able to hold anything back tomorrow morning at the inquiry, where an initiate would surely question? Round the circuit of his failure his mind ran again, and slid off into a consideration of present circumstance. He rose, going to the iron-bound door, but even the small trap in it would not open from his side. Alone. Not for the first time. How like the imprisonment on the ship this was, and how dark the prospect had loomed then! Out of that he had risen, but to what? A choice between lease and this. A wave of misery swept across him, and then he thought of Lalette, and her misery equal to his own, and maybe more. But this was no help either, and he began to examine his prison, finger-breadth by finger-breadth, for something that might take his mind away from this procession of regrets and anxieties toward a future he could not know. There were only accidents of the wall at first, in which he tried to see pictures and carvings, making up a tale for himself, like those in the ballads. This had not gone far when he came to a trace of writing which looked as though someone had tried to wipe it out, for there were only a few words to be read. Horv, in the month, only for love, God. A cryptic message indeed. He tried to imagine the tale behind it and how the love of which these Amorosians forever gabbled had brought someone to this cell. 
this caused him to ask himself whether it was really love for Lalette that had brought him here, for that matter whether he loved her and what love was, and to none of these questions could he find a satisfactory answer, because he kept comparing her with Maritzel and wondering whether the emotion were the same. But this in turn brought a deep weariness. He flung himself on the straw to rest and work the matter out, and so doing fell into an uneasy slumber, product of his sleepless night, in which he dreamed that the world was ruled not by the god he had been taught to believe in, nor disputed by the two gods of whom the Amorosians spoke, but by three demons who sat in a closed space with smoke pouring from their mouths, and decided what penalty should be exacted for witchery. A key grated. He woke to see the trap being pulled back from without, and a voice said roughly, "'Here's your banquet, my lord. The sweetmeats come with the dancing girls.' A plate was thrust through, with a pewter mug of water. On the former were some vegetables, cold and sticky, and no table utensils, but Rodvard was in a mood of hunger that forbade him to be over-nice and he ate, saving part of his water to cleanse his fingers after the meal. It was hardly done before the trap opened again, and the outer voice demanded, "'The tools, pig-face! The administration doesn't give souvenirs to its guests!' Rodvard passed the dishes through and seated himself again. Time ticked. The light that had been fading when he woke was all gone. He had slept so much that he could do so no more, and the uncertainty of his lot held him from consecutive thought. Somewhere outside there was a thin cry and a sound of feet. Then quiet again, but for the briefest space. And now another key grated in the main lock of his door. It was flung open. In the space stood a small man and a dark with no cap. Behind him a smoky torch held by another showed this first visitor to be holding a naked sword that dripped plash-plash on the stone. "'You are Bergelin,' he said. "'I call myself Damade Slayer. The revolt has begun. Have you the Blue Star safe?' Two. Questions whirled in Rodvard's mind, but the larger of the pair said, hurry, and gripped him by the elbow like the guard who had brought him in, dragging along the corridor. "'Wait,' said Rodvard, resisting. "'There is another.' "'We must hurry,' said Damade Slayer. "'You do not know how desperate a business this is. We have had to kill.' "'No, I will not leave her. She is my sweetheart, my witch.' "'You have her here? Of the two of you, she is the more important. Where is she?' At the third cell here, I think." Without another word, Slayer counted off. The torch, Cordiso, and began to try keys from a chain of them. The big man advanced the torch, but the place held only some babbling, furtive creature with white hair and idiot eyes. The next cell was empty. Slayer swore furiously. "'You are sure your doxy's here?' "'She was brought in with me.' He tried another door. It was she, rising surprised from the floor in a whirl of dresses. Rodvard pushed past the small man to grip her by the hands. "'Come, and quickly!' She made small, uncomprehending sounds. 
Rodvard put an arm around her and drew her toward the door. Reverse of the stair by which they had been brought in. In the torchlight Rodvard saw a pair of feet at the base. A dead man, one of the guards. In spite of the hurry, he paused to unbelt the fellow's dag and rushed with the rest, feeling more a man again now the lost knife was replaced. At the outer gate stood two more men, hoods pulled over their faces. They saluted Damade respectfully and led across the street to where a carriage stood, pushing Lalette into the back seat. There were three horses, one in front of the pair, according to the Manchuray fashion. One of the hooded men cracked his whip and they were off at a bumping pace, as Damade Slayer said, "'It is well you were placed in arrest and proclaimed this afternoon. We should not have known how to find you otherwise.' "'Who sent you, Dr. Remigorius?' A shadow winked across the man's face, even in the dark. The high center. I say, the revolt has begun and they are in rule. But you shall be told everything soon. He would say no more. The carriage bumped across cobbles and they were at the dock, with a man holding a candle lantern by its side. Slayer leapt down without offering a hand to Lalette and sprang across the plank of a ship with, Hurry! Already, as she and Rodvard reached the deck, a whistle was blown, and men were moving rapidly among the ropes. They followed their guide's beckoning down a ladder to a cabin. He set the lantern on a table. "'Let yourselves be placed and hear me carefully,' he said. "'It is of the utmost moment to the cause and everything that you are not caught or even held back. If the guards come aboard, if we are stopped by a galley as we leave the harbour, you are strictly to go down the ladder leftward of this cabin. At its base is a pile of bales of goods, of which one is hollowed out to take a man, with a flap at the edge that can be pulled to from inside. Insert yourself and pull the flap." A thrill more of excitement than apprehension shot through Rodvard. The thought of being as important as this to the great enterprise. He said, "'If this ship's invaded, they will likely have an initiate, or at least one of their diaconals with them, and from the mind of any one aboard, he will be likely to know where the hiding-place is." Slayer grinned. That has been thought of. No one knows of this hollow but me. I made it and can take care of myself. Lalette said, And I? What shall I do? Slayer frowned. You are a problem, demoiselle. We came for friend Rodvard and his blue star, imagining you were still in Desola, and there's no preparation." He put an index finger on his chin. "'You have the art. Could you not—' She raised a hand. "'Ah, no. Never.' In the flash of her eye Rodvard saw how she was thinking of some witchery on a ship, something terrible and sickening connected with it. "'Of course,' said Slayer against an initiate it would miss nine times out of ten. And concealment's a weak resource. No, the problem is one of hiding you in plain sight. That is, to let them look but not know your identity. Ah, I have it. Let your hair down and the hem of your dress up to show an ankle. Be one of those travelling strumpets who call themselves sea-witches." Lalette said steadily, "'How will this deceive one of the initiates?' Damade Slayer made a twisting with his mouth. "'Why, demoiselle, 
these initiates are not magicians. They can read no more than thoughts, and not all of those. All women have in them a trifle of the strumpet. You have but to think yourself one, be one with your mind. It would be a rare initiate to tell the difference." Lalette's mind beat frantic wings. The bars were there again. Whatever route she took led to the same cage. And Rodvard caught enough of her thought to know how deep was her trouble. "'Is there not some better plan?' he asked. "'No time. See, the ship is stirring.' Tamade's slayer stood up. "'So now I must leave you.' The door banged behind him. Lalette said, "'This is a second rescue. From one prison to another each time. I thank you, Rodvard.' Her eyes flashed a dark color of anger. He knew what was stirring in her mind, but also that if he mentioned it directly there would be a flash. He said, "'Lalette, let me implore you. I will not quarrel with you about whose making this trouble is, or how we seem to go from one difficulty to another. But if we can work together, this escape shall be better than the last. I did not leave you at the covertine. Oh, I am grateful, she said, in the tone of one who is not grateful in the least, turning aside her head. If you had only— He had wit enough not to carry this line on. Do you know anything of this revolt? he asked. She turned again. Ah, I cannot bear if that I should never have a thought of my own while I am with you. Will you give me back the blue star? No. It is all our lives and fortune now, and the fate of many more important than we. I am not beautiful and brilliant like those girls of noble houses, but even so would like to be wanted for myself, and not what I can bring. Outside the first harbor swell caught the ship. She turned her face again, queasy at her stomach. They slept in shut-beds on opposite sides of the cabin. End of chapter 22